Good morning. How you doing, church family? Great day to be here. Even though the rain is out there, we know that that's from heaven above. So awesome. A um, few things today. Uh, we have the All Together Now classes going on, which is our K-4 um, K through, through grade 3 happening downstairs. So if you have little ones and they're not there and you want them there, that's you should probably do that. Also, communion is taking place. So those that you are at home, make sure you get your elements. And if you haven't have them here, you can get them from one of the ushers in the back. Um, rock parents and for the um, summer schedule, make sure that you pick that up on the welcome desk as well. And then I'm really excited that you're here because today you really get a real pastor. <laughs> and I, I, I'm glad you came back even after what I tried to do last week for you. So we're thankful that you're here. Um, pastor Adam is here and his wife Stephanie, and they are interim candidate. So today's an opportunity that you'll be able to hear him and then be sure to stick around after the second service. We will have a meal for you, and then we're going to have a, a Q&A, and Adam was going to go through the actual process that we will be embarking on over the next year. So if the offering can come forward, we will pray for them. That, and we're also going to lift up uh, Pastor Dennis and Vinnie Agri uh, with uh, Christian Revival Church over in Liberia, Africa. So Father God, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you that uh, you are present. We ask your spirit to be amongst us. Father, as we um, give what you have so blessed us with, Father, may you do what you need to do in this community, through this church. We lift up uh, Dennis and Vinia as they are serving in Liberia, uh, reaching souls for you. Give them safety, protection, uh, meet their needs. And Father, we just um, are so thankful for who you are in our lives. We pray that in your son, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So it's an honor today to bring our candidate for interim, Pastor Adam Wolfgang, here to speak. We've had an opportunity to meet with him over the last couple of days, staff as, as well, and the deacons and the elders. Um, and it's your opportunity to meet with him after service. But I'm going to bring up Pastor Adam. Amen. It's always, uh, oh, there we go. It's always uh, odd doing this. Um, the very first time coming in front of people that I do not know. Um, and you're probably looking at him like, he doesn't look like much. He's kind of short. Came from across the pond. I was raised in Michigan. And uh, so I'm um, from the other team. Yeah, yeah. I, I've already had some warnings from my friends. You know you're going into Packer country, don't you know that? Yeah, yeah, I know that. But I, I do hope that you stay for the dinner and uh, the presentation that follows. I'll, follow, I'll walk through the five steps. I'll give a little more information about us as a, as a family and uh, hopefully that, and, and be able to answer any questions um, that you have. I'll do my very best at that. I'm thankful for my wife, Stephanie, if you've not met her. Um, I'm, that's, I always have her in the picture with me. That kind of evens it out, right? Guys, it kind of evens it out. Well, this morning I want to talk about, <clears throat> oh yeah, I've got a clicker this morning too. There we go. Um, I want to talk about transitions because you're going through a transition. But transitions are more than just the transition you're going through as a church. Transitions also happen in your life all the time. 
And some of them are planned and some of them are unplanned. Now, let me give you one that just recently happened to us. Uh, When we went into this ministry, after 32 years of full-time ministry, going into interim type of ministry, we realized moving across the country and stuff like that, we were going to need a different type of vehicle than what we had. And so for the last three and a half, four years, we've been planning to replace the vehicle that we had with a vehicle that would more suit the ministry that we're in and help serve us during that time. So we just kept waiting and waiting and planning and saving and all that kind of thing. And finally, so this this time when I got done in Ohio on May 1st, we headed back down to Florida and uh, we're going we're gonna to make this purchase. We're going to get this done, you know, while we have this time period that we have. And so we did. We went to the dealership and we, we found a used vehicle that would fit, our, fit the bill and everything else. And we <laughs> wrote the check and, and, and got that all done and everything. And so we're driving it home and we're so excited, you know, wow, you know, it's been a while, but this, we can see how this is going to help our ministry. And uh, when we got back to the mobile home down in Florida, we opened up the door and it was 90 degrees in the mobile home. Ooh, guess what went out? Yeah, the air conditioner and heat pump in there. And it was like, oh, and where we live in Florida, I mean, it's 90 plus every day now. And Stephanie is, is down there for the summer. So just telling my wife, just open up the windows and run the fans. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't going to work. So that was the the vehicle was a planned thing. The the air conditioner was unplanned, unplanned. Okay, so some of our transitions are planned, some of them are unplanned. Uh, I go into churches that some of the transitions, like the transition here, it's a bit planned. You have a, a pastor who is getting to the retirement age, and you would know that at some point there would be a succession of someone else coming in and taking his place. So it's kind of a bit planned, but I go into churches also where it's unplanned, where maybe the pastor has died, or maybe maybe they have left abruptly, and the church you know, was not planning that kind of thing. And so we have those kind of transitions in our life. How many of you have had cancer? I'm raising my hand because I've had it. Yeah, was that planned? Did you plan that? No, you know, you never plan that, do you? kind of thing. So I want to go to the scripture this morning and look at a transition that the disciples went through. And this is probably the biggest transition they've ever went through. And the transition is, is that they have been with Jesus for three, three and a half years, every single day, living with him, sleeping with him, eating with him. And, and so they were with him all this time. Then he goes to the cross He's buried in the grave. He rises on the third day. They're excited because they get to see him. But 40 days later, he tells them, okay, I'm leaving now. And so this is the big transition that's happening between one moment they have Jesus in their presence. The next moment, Jesus is went into heaven and he's not with them anymore. And what I want to key in on this passage of scripture in Acts chapter 1 is what did the disciples do while they were in this transition? Because the transition is not only as Jesus left, but Jesus told them that to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so there's a, there's a time gap here before the Holy Spirit comes. And what are the things that they did? And I'm going to kind of pick on Peter because he's the self-proclaimed leader of the disciples. In your back of your pews, you'll have this little half sheet if you want to use that. 
um, the way to use that this morning is one side will have a bunch of lines on it. And as I walk through the scripture, feel free to write down different things that are going to pop up on the screen as we walk through it. On the other side, I'll tell you when to flip it over and we'll go through those five points. So let's go to the scripture this morning. I'm not, there we go. Acts chapter one, starting at verse one. And in verses one through three, Luke gives us a commentary here. The first account, talking about the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I composed about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven, that's the ascension, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. And I underline that in my Bible. Who chose the apostles? Jesus chose the apostles. Jesus is the one who went up the mountain, prayed all night, came down and spoke their names and said, you are going to be the apostles. Verse three, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, that's the resurrection, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over 40 days and, and speaking about the things concerning the kingdom of God. So there's those 40 days that he met with 500 plus people at one time and showed himself to be the risen Lord. Okay, there's commentary. Now, verse four, we get to the scripture passage where it says, and gathering them together, he, meaning Jesus, commanded them not to leave, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard of me. So Boy, I'm not doing, you guys want to click through it? You can do her. As I get to each verse, just click through it. Um, and I'll just keep talking. Okay, thank you. Um, this is the first thing he is asking in verse four of the disciples. He's saying, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I don't want you to leave Jerusalem because they were from Galilee. They were from north. I don't want you to leave Jerusalem down here in the south. And I want you to wait. I want you to wait because I've told you already before that it's good for me to leave because if I leave, then the Holy Spirit will come. And that's what I'm waiting for you. That's what you're waiting for is this Holy Spirit to come. So that's the first thing he asked them to do. Now, verse five, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse six, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time? you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. Now, this is what they wanted in verse six. This is what they wanted. They wanted, um, they didn't want to wait. Jesus said, wait, I want you to go back and wait. They don't want to wait. They, they're looking at this and saying, if he's the Messiah, then the Messiah is going to restore Israel at, at some point. Is this the time? And actually, we want it to be right now. Now, do you get everything that you want? All the husbands went, oh, no, we don't get everything that we want. And look at the next verse. Does Jesus give them what they want? Does Jesus give them what they want in verse seven? But he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has set by his own authority. He says, no, no you don't get that information. That information is only held by God. And that's, you know, God is God and we are not. 
Okay, we have to continually remind ourselves of that. We are created in the image of God, but we are not God. There are some things that we are it, it, that we can that we can take a hold of, and God disp- disposed, disposes those things onto us, bestows those things onto us, um, so that we can be Christ-like. But there are some things about God that we will never be, because He is God. And so here is one of those things where we are not to know that. Verse 8, but, lots of times in my Bible I'll circle but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He reminds them again of why they are going back to Jerusalem, not to leave Jerusalem and waiting, and you shall be my witnesses. Now he's telling them what they are to be. I'm not going to give you what you want, but I will tell you what I want you to be. And I want you to be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So he tells them, and that word witnesses there, it's more than, yeah, yeah, I saw him. Yeah, I saw him. He was over by the tree. Yeah, I saw Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over that time. Yeah, no, it means martyr. It means you're going to be a witness. You're going to be a, a one that will stand in the face of death and continue to say, no, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. You need to say Caesar is Lord. No, I will never say Caesar is Lord because only Jesus is Lord. That's what he's asking them to be, that they would stand up to anything and say, no, I saw Jesus risen from the grave. So that's what he's asking them to be. So here we go from here in verse 9, and it says, after he had said these things, he, lift, he was lifted up, and they were looking on, and the clouds received them out of their sight. That's the ascension. Verse 10, and as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. Then verse 11, then they also said to him, said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come. And somebody say amen. Amen. Okay, but okay, say it like you mean it. Amen. Amen. That's the second coming. When that when that's presented in the scriptures, I mean that's a, it's that's the promise that we that he is going to come again in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. There's the ascension there. And so here we are at this transition point where now that Jesus is no longer with them. Yeah, I put up there in verse 11 of, of thinking all the way through Jesus' life. And actually, I would add on to that. When I think about Jesus' life, I think about the prophecy of the coming Messiah. I think of the birth of, of the Messiah in the manger. I see, I, I think of his life living among the, the, especially among the disciples. I see him on the cross. Um, then I see him in the grave. And then I see him rising from the grave. And then I see him ascending into heaven. And then I see him what? Coming again, coming again. When I think of Jesus, I think of all of that, every aspect of that. So what do they do? Here we get into these five things I see Peter do. Now, Peter, I'm I'm picking on him because Peter, you see the greatest transformation in Peter's life. I mean, Peter so many times put his foot in his mouth. So many times Jesus would say something 
And Peter would say in the Greek, uh-uh. Yeah, that's not in the Greek. Not in the Aramaic or anything. He, he just said, uh-uh. No, this is the way it's going to be, Jesus. And he would just, can I, I'll walk out on the water. And he does. Yeah, come on out here. And then what does Peter do? He looks away from Jesus. And then he cries out, save me, save me. Yeah, that Peter. I, we see the greatest transformation in the book of Acts of this man, of how he turns from trying to be in control to realizing who is in control. So verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. Now, first thing that they did, one of the things that they did was obedience in the plain things or obedience in the simple things. It was a very simple thing, a very simple thing that Jesus told them to do to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the, Ho for the Holy Spirit to come. That's a very simple thing, very simple command. And in the transition, they made sure to obey the simple things, the plain things, the, 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 basically the last thing that Jesus told them. Okay, we need to be obedient in what he has said to do. Here comes the second one. In verse 14, these were, they were of all one accord, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Just take note of that. We'll come back to that. Along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of his brothers because he's kind of the self-proclaimed uh, leader of the disciples. A crowd of about 120 people were, were there together. And they said, men, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Here's the second thing that goes on in verse 16. Peter goes to the scripture. He says, okay, we don't have Jesus anymore, but we have the scriptures. And, and if we're going to go forward, we need to make sure that the scriptures are guiding us. He doesn't have Jesus to talk to anymore physically like he did just a, a few minutes ago. So he says, where do we need to go to get guidance? We need to go to the word of God. And so that's what he does there. And he says in verse 17, um, or verse 16, men, brothers, scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested him. So Judas, the betrayer, for he was counted among us and received his share in the ministry. It's interesting here where he gets those words from is kind of like a combination of different things that Jesus talked about when he talked about his apostles and even picking the one who would betray him. And at this point, maybe he would be scratching his head like, wow, this, how did he appoint? He picked the one who would betray him. I don't see how that works out. So verse 18 and 19, some more commentary. Now this man, meaning Judas, the betrayer, acquired a field with the price of his unrighteousness. He, he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He tried to give it back to the priests. He threw it into the temple. The priests said, this is blood money. We can't touch it. And so they said, let's buy a potter's field with it. A potter's field is where they have taken out all the clay to make the pots. And what do you have left? 
you have a field of holes. And so it was used for common graves. And so it became a cemetery. So it says, now this man acquired a field with the price of his unrighteousness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. Sorry to read that, but Luke is a doctor and he wants you to know exactly what happened. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that their own language, that the field was called Hakaladama, that is field of blood. Now Peter comes back in with where it is in scripture and he quotes from Psalms. For it is written in the book of Psalms, and this is Psalm 69, 25, let his residence be made desolate. So where this one who betrays Jesus ends up, may it be a desolate place, and a graveyard would be a desolate place, and let no one dwell in it, and no one does it physically dwell in a graveyard. And and for them, a a graveyard is very different than for us. You might go to a graveyard, you might visit a gravestone, you might spend some time there um, in in that place kind of thing. A a Jewish person would not do that. Um, That would make them unclean. That would be uh, uh, putting them in, in the place of then having to become clean to be able to go back into the temple to worship. And so for them, a, a graveyard was a place that we avoided, avoided. Then he gives the second one from Psalm, Psalm 109.8, when he says, let another man take his office. So this one that has been replaced, one that has betrayed Jesus, someone needs to take his office. Again, the point here is that the scripture, he's going to the scripture and saying, the scripture is guiding me at this point. Now, I think also, uh, first part of verse 21, therefore it is necessary. Because the scripture says so, Peter says, therefore it is necessary. And I think he might also be referring back to Jesus' words to them in uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28. Jesus said to them, he said to the disciples, truly I say to you, that you who have been following me, followed me, in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he might have been referring back to that also going, okay, Jesus said that there will be 12 of us and there's these 12 thrones and we will judge over the 12 tribes of Israel. But how many do we have right now? We got 11. We got a problem. Now, Peter doesn't know that Paul is going to be uh, also brought in. That's, that's, that's in the future. So he's just working with what he's got in, in front of him. And he's saying, by the scriptures, it looks like we need to go through some type of procedure to fill this 12th spot because we only got 11 at this point. But again, the point is the scripture was, was guiding him. Here goes to the next one. Verse 21, therefore it is necessary uh, that of the men who have accompanied us, accompanied us all the time that Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John. So whoever's going to fill this position has had to have been with us at that point, the baptism of John, until the day he was taken up from us. So he was there at the ascension when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. Now, here's the third thing that he does. There's a mission requirement that's here. And Peter stays on mission. 
He's saying, okay, the scripture says that we need to have 12. And if we're going to have 12, though, this one that fills that 12 spot has to be someone who fills the requirement of what he has asked us to be. So this one has got to be willing to die saying, I have seen the risen Lord. And I will go to my grave saying that I've, and however I go to my grave, I will say he is the risen Lord. So he, on the transition here, he kept on mission to say, okay, what Jesus has told us to be needs to stay high and lifted up. Oh, and that, that needs to be required. So next thing that happens, he says, and they put forth, verse 23, Joseph called Barsabbas, uh, who's also called Justice. So he's got three names. And Matthias, he's got one name. And they prayed. There's the fourth thing they did in this transition. They prayed. Now, back in verse 14, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. But even just before this decision, what do they do? They stop and they say, we, we need to pray. And so prayer was essential. They stopped and did that. And then that leads into the fifth thing and said, this is what they said in the prayer, you, Lord, who know our hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen. So <clears throat> here's the fifth thing he did. He showed that God is sovereign. He's, he's stating that God is in control. This is so different for Peter because Peter's in control. Peter's the one saying this is what's going to happen. You know, and it's Jesus who sometimes has to slap him up alongside of the head. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Okay, so shut your trap. You know, um, he doesn't exactly say it like that, but I know Greek and that was in there. No, you're supposed to laugh and go, ah, <laughs> nah. But here, Peter has just turned and he's saying, he's saying, you have chosen. I know we're going to do, we're going to cast lots and we put these two names forward and we've made sure they fulfill the requirements that are there. But when it all comes down to it, you're the one who's going to choose this one. You already know which name is going to be that 12th one. And he makes that admission in a prayer to God. These two you have chosen, and you take, this, take the place of this ministry, the apostleship, which Judas turned aside to go to his own place, and they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 disciples, the 11 apostles. Okay, now if you've got your sheet, you want to flip it over to the other side. Let's go back through these five things. And I want you to think about on your own transition in life. I'm going through a transition. What are some things that I need to do going through this transition? Your church is going through a transition. I would like the leadership to think along those lines. As we go through this transition, what are some of the things that we need to do? And here are scriptural principles. Number one, be obedient in the plain things. Obedient in the plain things. Mark Twain said, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. Yeah, there's a lot of things in the Bible we might not understand, but there are a lot of things in the Bible that we do understand. And we understand they're plain to us. They're simple to us. And therefore, we need to be obedient through the transition in the things that are very plain and simple that are there. Lots of times people will cut corners during a transition. 
Sometimes they'll look for a shortcut during a transition. And it's like, no, no, no. We need to stop and we need to say, wait, what are the things that we know that we are to do? A lot of those in the scriptures are the one another's. You know what I know I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to love one another. I'm supposed to forgive one another. I'm supposed to bear one another's burdens. I'm, there's a lot of things in the Bible I know. Um, Alistair Begg says the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Now, let me give you an example of this. So we were in our church in Illinois. It went from a denominational church to an independent church. So that was a, there was a big difference there, and I was taxes. And I, I usually did my own taxes, and I'm kind of the guy who, who I never get anything back. I mean, I get maybe I'll get $200 back, okay, in return. Or uh, the next year I have to pay $200. I, me and the government, we just passed $200 back and forth, okay, back and forth. Well, we had sold our home, and, and, and I thought, you know, maybe this year I should take it to a CPA. Maybe I should take it to a CPA, have a CPA do it, because, you know, and everything. So I took it to the CPA, and he got it all done and everything. And lo and behold, I was getting $2,000 back. I was like, whoa, I've never gotten that back. And, and, and there was part in the back of my mind that was going, oh, wait, something doesn't sound right here. Something doesn't sound right here. But I thought, well, he's a CPA, and he's, he does this all the time and everything. So I just let it ride. And, and, and then it came around the next year. And I took it back to him again, because capital gains and all that kind of stuff. And I took it back to him, and and he brought it back, and here another two, three thousand dollars back. And I'm just like, oh, wait a minute here. Something is not right. And before I signed it, before I sent it off, I thought I got the name of a guy who does taxes for ministers because it's different and funky and all that kind of stuff. And I sent it to him saying, Would you look over? I gave him all my materials. Said, Would you look? Oh, yeah, I'll look over that. And so I remember I was out mowing the lawn. I was out mowing the lawn, I got a phone call. And I picked up the phone, I answered it, and it was the CPA, and, and he said, um, Pastor Wolfgang, are you setting down? And I, I said, well, I can. <laughs> and so I sat down, and he said, uh, yeah, you were right, there's something wrong here. You owe the government $12,000. Woo! Now, here's the whole point. I knew exactly what to do. Now, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew exactly what I was going to do. The simple thing, the plain thing, is that I need to pay it back. That's the simple thing. That's the plain thing. That, now, did I know how I was going to pay it back? No, I didn't have all that information. But, but the plain thing was that I, I knew that if I owe someone something, what do I do? I pay it back. Don't look for a shortcut. Don't look to cut corners in some way, shape, or form. No. And in times of transition, we need to keep focus on the things that we know. And we do those things that we know are right. We keep focus on that. Number two, number two is scripture needs to become your guidance and, and take prominence in your life. Um, I put on there, how, how do I up my Bible intake? As I'm going through a transition, I need to up my Bible intake. Now, we all went through COVID, and most likely, most likely, a majority of us our Bible intake did not go up, it went down. It went down for many, many reasons. But one of those reasons is you were getting so much more information from other sources that you were trying to digest and understand and everything else. And lots of times the, the scripture went, took a lower seat. 
But when you go through a transition, as Peter saw here, you got to raise Scripture up. Say, wait, these are the words of Christ. These are the words of God. These are the, the words that help me walk through this transition. And so that's why the, the, the way I preach the way I preach. I mean, the way I go through the Scriptures pretty heavily with congregations because I want them to know the Word of God. I want them to fall in love with the Word of God. So when we were in Oglesby, uh, we were there for five years and through different services and emails and devotionals and everything, we went through 33 books of the Bible in that time frame. Half of the Bible we went through. Uh, every church that I've served in interim, um, we've went through six or seven books of the Bible to increase that intake of God's Word into your life. That's important in a transition. Where are you getting your information from? Third one, stay on mission. Stay on mission. Just because you're in a transition doesn't mean that, oh, I can set Christianity aside. I can set the mission of Christ aside. You just take a look at Paul. What did Paul do when he was in prison? He took a break. No, he didn't, did he? No, he started sharing the gospel with the prisoner guards. You know, just because I have cancer, just because I went into the hospital, does that mean I can set this mission of Christ aside? No, you stay on mission. And I, you know, some of my favorite verses, Matthew 18, 19, and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what we are to do, to make disciples. How do we do this? How do we do this? Baptizing them in, no, that's not right, in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I take that uh, uh, physically and figuratively, both. Physically, that we, we introduce them to Jesus Christ, that they physically identify through baptism that they are believers of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, but figuratively also, because to baptize is to immerse, is to dunk under. I mean, is to, is to just make, make sure it's saturated. It was used by dye makers. Um, they would bring a cloth in, a white cloth, and they would, they would want it to be a different color. And so they would have this big vat, and they would put it into that vat. They would immerse it. They would baptize it into that vat of color so it came out a different color. Okay, so I look at it figuratively and say, how do we make disciples? We, we immerse them in all things the Father, all things the Son, all things the Holy Spirit, that these disciples are just immersed in who the triune God is. Then you we're also teaching them, the word for teaching there is a formal teaching. It's a, it's a set down teaching. It's like what I'm doing right now. It's, it's classes that you have. It's training that you have that's more on a formal basis, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. So wait, he commanded you, so that means you are living it out in front of them. So they're getting this formal teaching about the triune God, but they're also watching it in your life. They're watching you live it out. They're getting it in those two different ways. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In a transition, whatever transition you have in life, you have to make sure that you stay on mission, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to make disciples. Number four, prayer. Prayer is essential. Prayer is essential. And if I were to ask, it's pretty universal that the least attended service, if they still have it, is a prayer meeting. Is a time when people gather together just to pray. 
And I tell you, when you go through a transition, you need to be praying. And maybe it's not in a corporate setting like that, but who's the person that I need to pray with on a regular basis about this transition? Who's the, per- who's the person I need to be praying with as my prayer partner as I walk through this transition? When we walk through the transition of going from full-time ministry into interim ministry, it is a big change in our, in our life. And, and it was just, uh, in our church, we had prayer meetings and we had all of that, but I was so hungry for more. And so a buddy of mine had a church in a neighboring town and they would do 21 days of prayer. They would do it at the beginning of the year and they would do it at, in September. And at, from six to seven in the morning, the church was open and there would be 50, 60 people that would gather in that place and spend the hour in prayer together. They would have prayer cards all along the, the front that you could pick up and pray and, and just being around people who were praying, who were praying. Number five is God is sovereign. In a transition, you need to remember that he is in control. And I take you back to verse two when it says, whom he had chosen. And the focus was that God was the one who was in charge of picking those apostles. And then Peter picking up on that in verse 24, which one of these two you have chosen. When you go through a transition, you need to keep your focus on God. That it's God's will. So I think I have one more slide there. So when we go through a transition, and as a church go through a transition, you say, what are you going to do, Pastor Adam? Well, this is what I do. I make sure that we're obedient in the plain things, in the simple things that we understand. I make sure that we keep obedient in those areas. I make sure that Scripture is presented prominent in our decision-making and in our understanding in how we do things. I make sure that we stay on mission, that, that we are to make disciples. Even during a transition, we are to make disciples. There will be people who will come to faith, confess, profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We'll have baptisms, and we'll have memberships, and we'll have, we'll have different ways in which we'll see the church grow because we are focused on that mission that Jesus has given to us. Number four, we, we pray. We increase our time of prayer together. And number five, we'll keep our eyes on the one who's in control of this transition. Now, I think on the study guides, I gave you one last verse, and if you want to turn there, it's Romans 8, 28. And let me just walk through that verse with you. This might be a verse that we say uh, many times to someone who's going through a time of transition, because we'll remind them of this. And it says, and we know. And I'll stop right there. This is something that you can hold on to. What's going to be said next is something you can hold on to. And we know that for those who love God, and that you stop there and say, well, who are these who love God? He'll answer it. For those who love God, all things work together for good. So we know the thing that we can hold on to is that if we are one who loves God, and we'll find out more about that in the next phrase, that whatever has happened Ultimately, there will be a good that will come out of that. Now, it doesn't say immediately. It doesn't say instantaneously, like what we want. 
but there will be a good that will come out of it. The verse goes on to say, for those who are called. Ooh, now those are the people who love God. The ones who love God are the ones who have been called by God. The ones that God has drawn to himself um, by himself. John 6, uh, 44 and 66, um, we see those things being said there about being drawn by God. And then it says, according to his purpose. So if I put all that together, this good you receive as one who is called by God, who responds back to him with love for God, this good you receive is according to God's plan and purpose and according to his will. So even the transition that you're walking through as a church is according to God's plan and purpose and his will. And if we start to look at it that way, then we will address many things differently, realizing that no, God is walking us through this for us to learn, for us to grow, for us to continue to be more Christ-like as we go through this transition, whatever the transition is. And so having cancer 11 years ago, not knowing, you know, why, (laughs) um, but, but to realize that, wait a minute, getting to a point to say, wait, God's in control, and, it, and I need to realize that he's trying to teach me something through this transition. And he did. And I'm so thankful. I, it's funny to say that, you know. I'm thankful for cancer because it, 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 it matured me in a way, and that, that was the way that God used it to mature me to be more Christ-like for him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. It is blessed to, uh, to read it, to see, have examples like Peter and the disciples and as they went through a huge transition to guide us personally or corporately as we go through transitions in life. Help us to take these five things, realize these are honoring unto you. They bring glory to you. And even though we don't have all the answers, there are some things we know. And we will go forward in the things that we know through the transition. In thy precious name, amen.